Hello everyone, my name is Haley Elizabeth and if you don't know who I am, this is my true crime podcast where once a week I sit down and I talk about all things true crime, ranging from murders, disappearances, cults, all the way to the biggest bank heist in history, all things true crime. So if you're interested in any of that, you can subscribe to the YouTube channel Haley Elizabeth every Wednesday for the visual version or head over to Spotify, Apple, wherever you can find podcasts every Tuesday for the audio version. Now for today's case, we are going to be talking about the case of Wayne Nance. Now there is a lot to get through, so we're just going to hop right into to it. Wayne Nance was born on October 18, 1955 in Clinton, Montana to his dad, George, who was a long-haul truck driver, and his mom, Charlene, who was a waitress. Wayne grew up in a trailer home in Milltown, Montana, which was east of Missoula, Montana, and was described by friends and teachers as academically gifted, yet he was a big troublemaker. He would hang around in rough crowds, but he would easily get out of whatever he wanted because of his good grades, and he had a high GPA, which then made the school look even better. But Wayne said that he didn't really try at school. It just kind of seemed like school came easily to him. And then when he became a teenager, that's when his interests started to shift a little bit and he started to get more into Satanism. He would frequently go to his friends about how worship he would frequently go on to his friends about how he would worship the devil and he even heated up a metal coat hanger and branded himself all over his body with satanic symbols. Kids would call him just a weird kid throughout his entire teenage years. He attended Sentinel High School and didn't make many friends. He was very quiet, but still he was very smart. And one of Wayne's classmates would even go on to say that Wayne would constantly say that he didn't have plans of going to college or the army or trade school after high school, he would openly tell people that he wanted to be a murderer and that he wanted to claim his first victim before the age of 19. And unfortunately, Wayne would get that wish. In 1974, when he graduated high school, he didn't attend college and he went straight to claiming his first victim. On April 11th, 1974, 39-year-old Donna Lorraine Pounds was living in West Riverside, Montana, who worked part-time at a Christian bookshop. She got home from work at 3.30 p.m. and Wayne actually knew Donna already because she was the mother of one of his friends and so Wayne would often come over and he knew the family pretty well. Donna's husband was a minister and at this time he was at the church. And since Wayne was a frequent person at this household, he also knew where his friend's dad kept all of his guns. That's when Wayne had snuck into the home before Donna got there and stole her husband's 22 caliber Luger rifle and when Donna came home he ambushed her in the master bedroom. He started screaming at her and shot a warning shot into the wall and instructed Donna to lay on the bed. Wayne slipped on latex gloves, took out a clothing line that he had in a black gym bag that he had brought with him and tied Donna to the bed. Wayne would further SA Donna and then lead her down to the basement. In the basement is where he would shoot Donna in the back of the head five times. And before he left, he took the gun and inserted it inside of Donna and then left the home. Donna's husband came home at around 6 p.m. to discover her body in the basement and with the gun inside of her. He immediately called the police and there were three witnesses of people saying that they saw a man on the property with a large black gym bag. One witness even said that they saw Donna with one of her teen son's friends hanging out in the garden. And another said that they saw the man leave the home and go towards the Tamarack 
Park trailer park where Wayne had lived with his parents. Police try to interview Wayne because ironically, the day that all this happened, he wasn't in school. And so Wayne said, oh yeah, I wasn't in school, but that's because I had to stay home and work on a school project. He did agree that he was in the area, but he wasn't murdering anyone. He was just looking for materials for his science project. And due to insufficient evidence, Wayne was let go. Since Wayne was let go, they started to suspect the husband had done it because ironically, the minister was having an affair at the time. And Wayne's parents at this point were furious with Wayne because Wayne's parents knew that something was up with Wayne. There was just something off about him. And so they decided to put Wayne in the Navy to hopefully straighten him out a little bit. And that's when Wayne joined the Navy from 1974 to 1977. And it's not confirmed, but it's suspected that Wayne had added up even more victims during his travels in the Navy. And then on November 29th, 1977, at 22 years old, Wayne was discharged from the Navy after being caught stealing weed, LSD, and illegal butterfly knives. The next year in July of 1978, after being discharged, Wayne took a trip to Seattle, Washington, where he would claim his second victim, who was a 15-year-old runaway, Devonna Nelson, who went missing. And two years later, in the winter of 1980, that is when a crew of freight train operators were driving past and they noticed a lump in the distance, but when they got closer, they realized that it was actually the dead body of a young girl. This young girl would later be identified as 15-year-old runaway Devonna Nelson. Her body was badly decomposed, but was found with multiple gunshot wounds to the back of the head and leaning against a chain-link fence near the Interstate 90 in Missoula. Because her body had been decomposed for two years, she wasn't identified until 1985 and was given the name, quote, Betty Beavertail, following a recent murder in the town. Wayne was never convicted of this crime, but it is alleged that he did kill her because Wayne was in the area at the time of the crime. And then on December 24th, Christmas Eve of 1984, Wayne got a job as a club bouncer and one night he saw 16-year-old Marcella Bachman, who went by Robin, walking all by herself. Marcella and Wayne started talking and later exchanged numbers. Marcella had run away from her home a couple weeks prior from Vancouver, Washington, following a conflict with her family. And so Marcella was just kind of telling everything that's going on to Wayne, her situation, and what's happening and how she has nowhere to go. And Wayne basically asked Marcella, well, you know, it's winter time, it's cold. Why don't you just come over to my house and stay with me for a while? To which Marcella agreed. And it wasn't until long when Wayne and Marcella would begin dating. And Wayne's friends actually saw Marcella a couple times at Wayne's house. And on a couple of occasions, his friends were obviously very confused as to why he's living with a 16-year-old girl. But Wayne claims that he took her in after a truck driver had dropped her off in the area and three months into the relationship that's when Marcella and Wayne decided to run away together they wanted to move somewhere far away they wanted to get a house together but on Christmas Eve 16 year old Marcella Sherry aka Robin was found by a wildlife photographer her body was found buried in a shallow grave with her decomposing legs popping out of the ground medical examiners determined that she had died due to three gunshots to the back of the head the same as the other two victims and so now they're starting to come up with a pattern. Later on when the police investigate Wayne's home they would find a hair very very similar to Marcella's hair and not only that they also found Polaroids of the two together. Unfortunately Marcella's body wasn't identified until 2006 through DNA profiling so at the time of the crime Wayne was never convicted or even looked at. After a while
while, Wayne's friends noticed that Marcella had left, and so they asked, you know, Wayne, what happened to her? Like, did she just leave? And all Wayne replied with was, quote, she's gone. And he said that she got picked up by a trucker, and that trucker drove her to a bus. And then two weeks later is when Marcella's body was found two miles away from Wayne's home, and her time of death was speculated to be on September 28th, 1984, the same time the friends noticed that Marcella was gone. Marcella's family was actually out searching for Marcella, and her brother Derek even hired a private investigator in order to find her. Derek believes that Marcella might have become a sex worker to support herself or even became a victim to another murderer in the town named Gary Ridgway. Ridgway at the time was a famous serial killer that had murdered at least 45 specifically runaway children and sex workers during the 80s and 90s. And then on September 11, 1985, that is when the skeleton of 23-year-old Janet Lee Lucas was found in Missoula, Montana with a 32 caliber bullet in her skull three miles away where Marcella was found. Based on the body's decomposition, she might have died from the years 1983 to 1985, but her remains went unidentified until actually 2021. There were many things medical examiners found on her. They assumed that she was between the ages of 18 and 35 years old, the height of between 4'10 and 5'2, 90 to 110 pounds. She had two fillings in her teeth that assumed that she was a smoker and two root canals. She also had dental work that used tradition Asian techniques and so it's assumed that she was of Asian descent. Once they found who Janet was, they found that she was born in Spokane, Washington and went missing in Sandpoint, Ohio in the summer of 1963. It's unknown why she went to Idaho, but it does align with the time frame of when Wayne was actually in Idaho. And on December 12th, 1985, at this point, Wayne is feeling very egotistical because he's gotten away with so much. I mean, he has been murdering all these people across the country and has been receiving no consequences for it. So he's starting to get a little cocky. He's starting to feel like he's above the police. And so that's when Wayne decides to challenge himself and attempt at murdering two people at the same time. 34-year-old Michael Robert Shook and his wife, 32-year-old Teresa Lynn Shook, was living in Ravali County in Montana with their four children. Wayne broke into their home at 9 p.m. armed with a gun and introduced himself as, quote, Conan the Barbarian. He tied the couple to chairs in the living room while the four kids ran upstairs and locked themselves in the master bedroom. Wayne demanded money and shot a warning shot, but the shot accidentally ricocheted and hit Teresa in the leg. And I'm not sure why Wayne was panicking when he had hit Teresa in the leg, considering he has murdered people before, but he actually started to panic when this bullet ricocheted and he attempted at getting the bullet out of her leg, but was unsuccessful. At that point, the kids are locked in the bedroom up upstairs and Wayne pointed the gun at Michael and forced him into the room with the kids and locked the door. But Michael didn't go down without a fight. As Wayne tried dragging him to the bedroom, Michael fought with all of his might, which led Wayne to hit him in the head with his gun. That's when Wayne pulled out a butcher's knife and stabbed Michael to death right in front of his wife. After this, he directed Teresa to go upstairs, went to the guest bedroom, and tied her to the bed where he would then SA her, then strangle her. Wayne left the house but returned two hours later just to rob the family's elk statue, a hunting knife, and a silver dollar collection before closing all the windows and attempting to burn the house down. But the fire didn't catch. It ended up releasing just a bunch of cyanide gas in the house while the kids were still locked upstairs in the room. A neighbor had noticed an odd pickup truck in the driveway hours ago and saw them return two hours later then leave again. This neighbor got a 
really bad sinking feeling and so they decided to go over and check on the family. When the front door was locked, they tried to look through the windows and started yelling and the kids in the master bedroom actually heard this yelling from their neighbor. So they opened up the window and they tried to yell back to their neighbor and explain to them what was going on. And immediately this neighbor called the police and all of the kids were successfully saved from the house and luckily none of them had died or suffered any long-term consequences from the cyanide. And it's speculated that similar to Wayne's first crime where he knew the victim, he actually knew this family that he was breaking into. It was shown through reports that Wayne had actually bought a couch for the family and had it delivered to the home a couple days before the murder. Now the reason why there's so much info on this specific murder is because an investigation had opened so police looked more into the crime scene. And this scared Wayne a little bit because the police usually weren't looking into anything. His past victims were all runaways and the bodies were always found long, long after the murder. So at this point, Wayne started to get a little nervous. And at the time, Wayne was just kind of working odd jobs in the area, but he settled on a job as a mover for the company Collins Furniture Department Store. And from all of his male employees, he was described as, quote, an average guy. But several of the women customers complained that they would get harassing phone calls from the furniture store after receiving a package from there. The store investigated and found out that Wayne was behind all of these harassing phone calls. A lot of the female employees would even say that Wayne was insanely creepy and they had even caught Wayne taking pictures of them when they weren't looking. Wayne had even made a peephole in the guys' bathroom to which Wayne would go and show the other guys and would get other guys involved just to basically watch women in the bathroom. And this peephole was a peephole that was from like a stall in the men's bathroom to a stall in the woman's bathroom. So they would be able to literally see women like pulling their pants down and going pee. And it wasn't until one day when one of these male employees showed another male employee this peephole. And this male employee got a really weird feeling about it. He was like, this is creepy. This is so disrespectful. And he just had like a really weird, icky feeling about it. And so this employee went straight to the boss and this boss decided to interview all of the male employees and all of the male employees said that Wayne was the one that showed it to them. But when Wayne was interviewed, he basically just tried to play it off and say, oh, what peephole? There's a peephole? I have no clue. And Wayne just tried to play it off like he had no clue what they were talking about. And if there was a peephole, he definitely didn't make it. And it was definitely made before he got there. And then on September 3rd, 1986, because of all of this, he had gotten fired, but quickly got a new job at another furniture moving company where he would meet Douglas, aka Doug Wells, and his wife, Kristen Wells. One night, Wayne decided to go over to the home and murder the couple the same way that he did with Michael and Teresa. So he was outside of the home around midnight, hiding in the bushes and staring at the home. Weirdly, Doug is looking out the window and he notices Wayne just hiding in the bushes. So he's super confused and he goes outside and confronts Wayne in his hiding spot and Wayne just has to awkwardly walk up from like his hiding spot and he tried to make the excuse that he was walking by and there was someone outside of the house lurking and so he was trying to make sure the guy didn't come back. Wayne basically literally just said like the same thing that he was doing except another person was doing it. So Wayne and Doug spark up a conversation and Wayne asked Doug if he could borrow a flashlight so the two of them went inside. Now once they were inside that's when Wayne would strike Doug in the back of the head 
head and ordered Kristen to come to the living room. He tied them both up and stabbed Doug in the chest while Kristen was watching, and then Doug was taken to the basement to bleed out to death. Wayne then forced Kristen to the bedroom where he further SA'd her, and meanwhile, Doug is in the basement and he is still alive but barely breathing. He managed to free himself from the ties and loaded a bullet into a rifle that he had down there because he had been repairing it. Doug then, in his weakened state, goes up the stairs into the bedroom where Wayne and Kristen are, opens the and points the gun at Wayne. Wayne and Doug struggle, but Doug is able to shoot Wayne and Kristen calls the police, but both Doug and Wayne were taken to the hospital. Doug and Kristen were able to make full recoveries, but Wayne's wounds were fatal, leading him to pass away the very next morning. When police searched Wayne's belongings in his apartment, it was filled with random women. Some women he was with and others he was not. Most of these photos were either dead or missing women, and it is speculated that Wayne had killed them. Wayne in his wallet was found with about 30 pictures of Kristen, and all of these pictures were angling him hiding in the bushes and taking pictures as she got in her car, pictures of her on her usual jogging route. Police would later look into Wayne's apartment and find that Wayne was obsessed with women and all these random women. He even had whole photo albums dedicated to specific women and would write love letters in there. And there was even a whole photo album dedicated to Kristen. And in one of the letters in there, he said, quote, I am crazy about you and quote, I want you to live with me. But unfortunately, since Wayne had passed away, there really is no telling what exactly happened. There's no telling why Wayne did what he did or how much he did. Wayne, until his very last breath, had gotten away with all of his crimes and I feel like that's the most frustrating part about this case. And the fact that Wayne had actual photo albums dedicated to random women and all of these Polaroids were a lot of missing women, but there were also a lot of pictures of women just out on the streets. He would take pictures of random women women just sitting on the bus, walking to work, sitting in their car, getting their groceries. It's like Wayne had this huge fascination with females and specifically wanting to kind of intrude their privacy without them knowing that he's there. And that to me is insanely terrifying. And it's really, really troubling that still at the end of it all, Wayne would never receive consequences for what he did, nor would we even receive the extent of everything that he did because he had died before he even got to tell his story. And yeah, that is the end of today's case. I know today's case was a little bit of a short story, but I thought it would kind of be a little bit of a breather. I honestly thought that this case was very, very interesting. And although there was a lack of information to find online, I still wanted to speak about it. And yeah, I hope you guys found this video interesting. And if you did, please give it a thumbs up and subscribe if you are on YouTube or if you are on Spotify, Apple, where you can find podcasts. Make sure to rate it five stars because that really helps me out a lot. And yeah, that is all from me. I hope you guys have a wonderful rest of your day. Make sure to go outside today, be safe out there. And as always, I love you, I love you, I love you. And I will see you guys next week.